This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cherry Leaf Podcast. We're going to look at in this episode about classroom training and is this the end of classroom training? So with the lockdown that we're experiencing today in 2020, classroom training has had to stop. There are restrictions on people being indoors and that's meant effectively that classroom training is not available at the moment. But as the restrictions start to get loosened, will it come back and will it be as popular and as common as it has been in the past? In this episode, we'll look at what really should classroom training provide? How is Google approaching this problem with its training courses? And how is Cherryleaf approaching this with aiming to convert some of our courses? Now, most of our training courses are e-learning courses, so they're unaffected by the lockdown, but we do have a few which are classroom-based. One in particular, our course on writing policies and procedures, and that has been really well suited to being delivered in a classroom environment. So let's start by looking at what does training in a classroom environment provide? One critic of training and traditional learning approaches is somebody called Nick Shackleton-Jones, who's now head of education at Deloitte. He's also had senior roles at the BBC and BP. And he has some interesting stuff on his blog and videos that he's created about rethinking learning. From his video, one of the things that he says is, the key shift is not about knowledge transfer. A lot of learning is underpinned by this idea that somehow the objective is to kind of force knowledge into people's heads. Instead, it's about organisational usability. It's about helping people with this problem that the world is often poorly designed and people are doing different things as a consequence. Performance support is about understanding what it is that people are trying to do and then building resources which will actually make them do that. And the main thrust of Nick's argument is that rather than delivering traditional training, that organisations should be providing performance support. So embedded help, knowledge bases, quick reference cards, checklists and the like. Of course, that still means that there is a role for learning and for classroom courses, as long as it's just not a case of somebody standing up and providing information, just facts, and that's it. A good training course should also provide an environment where people can understand the conceptual aspects of things, the semantics, why something is like it is, what certain things mean, provide analogies so they can understand how it's similar to something else. And it can also, or should also, provide an environment where people can practice new skills in a safe environment. And that's what we aim to do with the classroom training courses that we provide, and also, of course, with our e-learning courses. So let's now move on to looking at how Google is taking some of its training courses, or one in particular, and moving that to be an online course. So we've mentioned on a previous podcast that Google has developed a training course aimed at developers and computer science graduates at university. 
or undergraduates, I should say. And they've developed this classroom course to teach people the basics of technical writing. And the way that it's been designed has been for the course to be delivered principally in a classroom environment. Although to an extent for their internal staff, Google has also been delivering it live online. So with a live trainer, delivering it to people remotely using applications like Google Meet. But now with the lockdown, the option of the classroom has gone. So they are now passing on the way that they do it, the advice that they do it to people that might be delivering that course to university students and others and discussing or sharing with people how they've adapted the course. So the way that the Google course is designed is based on some basic pedagogical underpinnings, foundations, principles. And one is the idea of the flipped classroom, that students do some learning before the class and then do the learning in a classroom or live online classroom, do the learning that's best with people in a group in a class. And an idea that students teach each other. So even when Google was delivering this course in a classroom environment, there still was an online element, which is essentially text on web pages. And that was pre-class work. And the idea of that pre-class work and the exercises that came along with that was to build foundational skills. And then in the classroom itself, the exercises were there to help students integrate those foundational skills. So the idea with the classroom courses and the classroom exercises and lessons were to get student interaction. So solo tasks could be done online, pre-class, but interactive exercises and as a refresher to those in a classroom environment. So you're in an online environment instead of a classroom. How do you get 20 students or so, that's the amount that Google usually has, to teach themselves simultaneously? There's a danger that you can have too much animated conversation as students teach each other the material and you may have a situation where students might feel uncomfortable having their content peer reviewed by others within the class, defending that information online. So the way that Google does this is that it sticks with the same partners for the whole of the course. Normally within the classroom environment, you would pair up two students to, to work together. And then for the next exercise, they would swap and they would partner up with somebody else. Google recommends students stick with the same partners throughout the particular course, or for that session at least. And the way that Google has adapted the course is that they have a document that students work on. There's a template that they copy and then they work on online using Google Docs for in their situation for the written stuff. And that they work collaboratively on different parts of the document. So you might have a student working on page one and another student working on page two or working on column A or working on column B. And in a classroom environment, rather than swapping laptops around, what you have is this online document and then the students just view their 
partner's answers. And then what they do is they ask each partner to explain why they've done things in different ways or for the other partner to ask questions about it and sort of discuss the, the pros and cons of the different approaches, compare and contrast. Now that works, of course, if you have even numbers. If you have odd numbers, then you have somebody spare that can't partner with somebody else. So one of the approaches that Google takes, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is to have a teacher's buddy or classroom assistant to assist the trainer. And one of the roles that the classroom assistant can do or teaching assistant can do is be the odd student's partner. Alternatively, you can create one group of three students and get them to work and maybe have a version of the exercise that would work for three students as well as two. One of the other challenges with moving to an online environment is the duration of the course, the pace of the course. And it can be quite hard for the trainer to know whether students have completed an exercise or not, whether they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs or whether they're needing more time to complete them. So one of the approaches that Google uses is they use the chat feature of Google Meet, which is the online video conferencing platform that Google provides, and encourage students to, when they've finished an exercise, to send a little message in the chat just to say, I'm finished. So they can quietly just let the trainer know. That can be to the whole of the class, or it can be just a private message to the trainer. And of course, the other way around, if the students need an extra minute or two, they can again use the private chat message to just let the trainer know that they'd like a couple of extra minutes. Now we found when we've delivered a training online compared to classroom, that it takes longer to deliver the course. Generally for a one day course, it probably takes an extra hour for that particular course when it's converted to be online. And equally, this is what Google does. It schedules extra time for the online course compared to the classroom course. And the way they do it is they break it into sessions of either two or two and a half hours. So I mentioned the classroom assistant, one approach that Google takes with its internal training and with its recommendations for people delivering this technical writing course is to have two trainers or a classroom assistant. So one supports the other. So one is the primary trainer delivering the information and the other one is there to do things like manage the chat room. So to look at any questions that might be coming through in the chat room, maybe interrupt the trainer if there's just a point that isn't clear that isn't coming through. To highlight any technical issues, if the students can't hear the trainer or they can't see any slides or if a student's got problems to sort those out and to send out any exercises or files so that all the students have the information that they need. When it comes to resources, what Google recommends is that you have a video conferencing service such as their Google Meets, a sign-up system to pair up students for class exercises, a way of having shared documents that people can work on and review each other's work, for example, Google Docs, and to have template documents that students can copy for the exercises. And of course, with it being Google, they recommend that you use G Suite or G Suite for Education. And then they also provided people that are involved with training this course that they've made available for others to deliver were a few tips 
let me go through those. When you assign an exercise, be absolutely clear on what students should do and give students time to ask questions. Take a peek into student documents to see how they're doing and you can add some instant comments and Google has found that students seem to welcome that. And if students get stuck, do your best to help them get unstuck. So that's how Google is doing it. Let's talk about now how we're approaching this conversion process, in particular, how we're going to convert our policies and procedures course. Now we have delivered training courses online using video conferencing platforms in the past. We've tended to keep the classroom sizes down to fewer than 10 people. So smaller than the classes that Google might be providing. And those have been our Trends in Technical Writing course and our Technical Writing Foundation course. One thing that needs to change or we've changed is the duration of the course. We've mentioned it generally requires longer, an extra hour for the course just to deal with technical issues and the time to respond. But to expect somebody to sit in front of a computer for a whole day taking in learning is asking too much. It's asking too much of the trainer as well. So the way that we do it is we split the course into two hour sessions or two and a half hour sessions and have it split over a series of days. And at every 60 minutes or so to have a break, a comfort break. So people can take five minutes to grab a cup of tea, go to the toilet, maybe have something to eat or pick up any issues that there might be in the office and then come back. Another aspect is how do you get people engaged? How do you get people involved? Now, from what we've seen from the comments from Nick Shackleton-Jones, having just a what you call a chalk and talk approach just won't work. Just spouting facts, having slides with a disembodied voice talking over the slides with bullet points just isn't effective. It needs to be aimed at giving them exercises to practice the skills that they need. It needs to be engaging so that you don't have people looking at their phones or checking emails whilst being trained at the same time. One of the approaches we do is we have video platforms where we can see the students and the students can see the trainer. So if you see a student that's yawning, then you can do something to try and get them engaged. You can keep their attention. And other things you can do is you can ask questions. It's much harder to ask a, throughout a general question to the audience when it is in an online environment compared to a classroom. So what works better is to ask questions specifically by name. So John, what do you think about this? Jane, how would you answer that? And in a classroom environment, you often have icebreakers at the start of the class to get people to know each other. We also have done that as well. It can be a bit tricky to pair up at the beginning and use icebreakers where there's pairs. So we tend to use icebreakers where it's just an individual sharing a little bit of information about themselves, often things like where they live and what they like about the place that they live. And also scheduling into the course structure time for classroom discussions. Another aspect of the move to an online environment is that it takes longer to get a response back. And it's very tempting for the trainer to jump in and answer the question they've posed themselves. From Google's experience, one of the things they mentioned when they were doing the train the trainer sessions was that you could expect seven 
or even more seconds of silence between asking a question and getting an answer back. And you need to adapt to that and be comfortable with that silence and give students time to answer. So one of the things that we're doing at the moment is reworking the exercises so that they work for an online environment rather than in a classroom environment. And this is the biggest challenge for us. This is partly because some of the exercises we have on our policies and procedures course are things like using post-it notes and running around and sticking things to walls and rearranging them and getting people to work in groups to do exercises. And so we need to change those so they can work in a better way. So let's talk about some of the technical issues of running online courses if you're involved in delivering training. A lot of it's around being prepared. It's good to join the course or the meeting 15 minutes before it starts so you can check your audio and video as a trainer. It's good to have a lobby so that people don't see you doing all that checking so they're waiting in the lobby beforehand and then you let them in. It's good to have good lighting. If you use a ring light, which are low cost and they can plug in via USB, that can help project light onto your face so people can see you. And it's good, obviously, to have an uncluttered background without people wandering around in the background if you are delivering the training from home. One thing else that can help is having two screens. So you can see your slides and you can see other folders or other documents or videos of your students. With the latest versions of Windows and iOS and Mac OS, in addition to connecting a second screen, you can use a tablet or a mobile phone to act as that second screen. And we've mentioned on previous podcasts, don't forget your television. You can always plug your television in via HDMI and have that work as a second screen. One tip we saw on Twitter from Microsoft, somebody from Microsoft, was you can have a background image that actually has instructions on how students can use the environment. So it can give tips on the shortcuts for how to mute their microphone or reminding them to mute their microphone, how they can use the chat, how they can call up the chat, how they can effectively raise their hand, where the files are for exercises. And that seems quite a good tip. It's not one that we've used so far, but it's one that we might try. And the other thing that can also help is have breakout rooms so that when it comes to exercises, you can get students to work alone. And for writing courses, students in particular like just having the time to just write. But there can be strong benefits from getting students to work in pairs. So they can collaborate, they can question how things are done, they can discuss things. So one of the features that you have with many of the video conferencing platforms like Zoom and Teams is the idea of breakout rooms. So a second virtual meeting with maybe just two or three people in it where they can do the exercises and then they can come back to the main room for the main training that goes on. One of the best things to do with that is set those up before the course. So don't try to create the breakout rooms during the course itself. And another good trick is to be logged into the main room as a trainer and into the breakout rooms at the same time. So don't log out of one and then go into the other. And this may also be beneficial for students also. And in fact, as a trainer, you might want to have two different logins. So you're logged in as a trainer and logged in as a user. And that may be another way around or way of doing that. 
Of course, this is a situation where having two trainers can help enormously because you can have two of you going into the different breakout rooms and just checking everything is working okay and the students are working through the answers without getting stuck. And then there's the question of whether you should have a back channel or a chat forum for students or whether you should get them just to ask their questions verbally during the lesson. Well, some people are comfortable asking questions verbally, but there might be a few that are a little bit shy about doing that. So having a chat channel or a back channel can help so they can send private messages or ask using the chat message. You do need somebody to monitor it. And if you have that person there who can monitor it, then it's worth doing. So what about the future? How might online training develop in the future? I think it may also be worth looking at and checking what's happening with live streaming. People that stream for hour upon hour, then playing a computer game. And there's a whole range of hardware and equipment that they use that perhaps we might see come through into e-learning and live training. So live streamers often have more than one camera angle. So rather than just the camera on themselves, they can switch between themselves and the screen. They have picture in picture, so you can see them and the screen, but they can switch between them. They often have multiple cameras set up to the left and the right, so you can get side angles as well. And there are now things called stream decks where you can push a button switch from one to the other. So it's becoming much more like a TV show. And they're using things like digital SLR cameras with dongles to act as their webcam so they can get better quality imaging, particularly in rooms which are quite dark, rather than what you get with just a standard webcam. And also some of the features I've seen with these live streamers is as well as having a green screen and things projected on the background that way, having subdued lighting in the background behind them just to make a nice sort of atmosphere or, or visual image. We also posed this question on LinkedIn and asked for advice from others. And we had a few responses. One was from Sarah Feldman, who's been on the podcast. And she said, make it interactive. Most video conference tools have built-in features that you can be creative with. And third-party tools like Mentimeter are easy to incorporate in a bunch of different ways. So I had a look at Mentimeter. It's an application for creating interactive presentations online. What it does is it enables you to get real-time information from students through polls and quizzes and word clouds. So you can put a question out and then embedded in your slides, you can get in real time, the responses come through in graphs and, and the like. So for classroom sizes, where you've got maybe 10 or more of that or large classes, that could well be useful. Maybe not so much for small classes of under 10. And Nick Tompkins, he responded, he's a senior instructional designer at ARM. He said, try and use one form of media at a time and mix them up to provide the user with some variety and pace. Video cam at start to introduce yourself and then maybe an interactive thing to get engagement, then slides and back to camera for Q and A's. And he reinforced some of the things that we found and that Google are recommending, building breaks for long sessions, get the users to indicate when they're back by raising hand or whatever the platform offers, use people's names to direct questions, use clear signposting on slides so people can slip back in and know where they are, 
They will go and do other stuff whilst you're presenting. Also, if you can, get a co-pilot to field questions and deal with users' technical issues so you don't get distracted. I'd say this was important. So that's good to know. He's reinforcing what has been said before, that that's what they do at ARM. So that's good news. Work progresses on converting our courses that we have that are currently classroom into be live and online with the main challenge being getting the exercises right. And let's go back to our question. Will we see the end of classroom training? Well, as the lockdown continues, there's more evidence and we learn more between us what we can and can't deliver in an online environment. I think there still will be some classroom training that goes along. There is benefits from that physical proximity, the idea to share ideas directly in the natural way that we've used for centuries of just talking to people in a room. However, I think there will be fewer training courses in the classroom environment than before. It can be cheaper to deliver training online and it means that Within some restrictions on time zones, you can have a wider audience because they can be around the world. So I think we will see less of it, but it still will exist. So what do you think? What's your experience of being a student of classroom and online courses? What's your experience as a trainer delivering and designing for those different formats? We'd love to know. So you can contact us, info at charityleaf.com, or you can contact me on Twitter, Ellis Pratt, and uh, let me know how you have done these things and what your experience has been. So that's it. If you want more information about Charityleaf and our training courses and our technical writing services, that's on charityleaf.com. You can rate us on iTunes and so on. Apart from that, thank you for listening and look forward to connecting with you in the near future.